Choose Linux, episode 8, for May 2nd, 2019. Hello and welcome to the show that captures the excitement of discovering Linux. I'm Joe. And I'm Jason. And here we are for episode 8. And we're going to be talking about our experiences with the Linux community a little bit later. But before that, let's talk about Ubuntu Mate on the Raspberry Pi. Now, a bit of a disclaimer, we're recording this a little bit ahead of time because I'm going to Linux Fest Northwest. So we're actually looking at the beta of this. It might well have come out as a full final release by the time you're hearing this. And there might be a couple of bugs that we have experienced. So we won't dwell too much on those. So what's your first impression of Ubuntu Mata and the Raspberry Pi? Right off the top, I, I have to say, if I chose to use a Raspberry Pi 3B Plus as my daily driver, then Ubuntu Mate 1804 would be at the top of that list for, for distributions to use. It looks good. I mean, it looks just as good as Ubuntu Mate looks on everything else, which is, I think, a statement in itself, because the lack of horsepower that the Raspberry Pi has means that you sometimes have to sacrifice those bells and whistles and the aesthetics that you're used to. And this looks good, aside from the you know overdose of green, but that's okay. <laughs> I didn't notice any dramatic performance differences between Raspbian and Ubuntu Mate. Of course, we talked about XFCE on the last episode, but Mate's kind of up there in terms of desktop environments that are fairly straightforward and don't use a ton of resources. I find XFCE to be just that little bit faster than Mate, but um, it, it, they're fairly comparable. Of course, Raspbian uses LXDE, which, again, I mentioned last time as being pretty much dead, and I think it's only really the Raspberry Pi Foundation that are maintaining it, whereas Mate is very much an active project. It's future-proof in a sense that it's using GTK3 now. It's it's just modern, basically, so I can see why people would favor it. And also, there's a huge difference between Ubuntu Mate on the Raspberry Pi and Raspbian, and that is the kernel. This is using an Ubuntu kernel, whereas Raspbian has its own kernel that's different. And uh, previous versions of Ubuntu Mate for the Pi were sharing that kernel, whereas now there's a clear differentiator there. Ah, oh, I didn't know that. So really, the other argument that can be made, in addition to it just looking good, is that it's going to also feel very familiar. Oh, definitely. And you have to remember who makes this, Martin Wimpress. He is the lead dev of Ubuntu Mate, and his day job is working on snaps. So really, one of the reasons he built this in the first place was to be able to build and test snaps. There's also the 64-bit version. I presume you were looking at the 32-bit one because the 64-bit version is rough, shall we say. Yeah, and I think when you go to download it, that's even the one that's recommended for the, the 3B+. Yeah, really the 64-bit version is just for testing rather than using as a, a daily driver, whereas the 32-bit version it really is pretty much ready. Now, I know you've had some audio issues with it. Let's hope that that's all sorted by the final release. I was testing some of the alphas and had audio issues that sound similar to what you had. 
uh, sort of choppy, poppy, clicking audio, right? Yeah, just it's basically just a persistent crackling in the audio when you're using uh, HDMI out. Yeah. Yes, well, I had that problem and it was fixed. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see if that gets fixed. But assuming that it does, it's pretty much ready for mainstream use, isn't it? Yeah, and and my understanding is that there's a whole lot of Raspberry Pi 3B pluses out there. So, oh yes, um, this could be very good exposure for Ubuntu Mate as a distribution. Oh, definitely. Now it does have a couple of downsides. The browser is not hardware accelerated, and so it's not a great experience web browsing on it. Unfortunately. I was able to, uh, I actually pulled up the the new Star Wars Episode Nine trailer, and it was fairly smooth at 720p. I couldn't really go, I couldn't uh, watch it smoothly at 1080p, but it looked acceptable at 720p. I will say this, though, web browsing on Ubuntu Mate with the Pi is a much better experience than something like on the Pinebook, where it's it feels like, no matter how many distributions you try, it's just not a very pleasant experience streaming anything on the internet with uh, with that laptop. And it's fairly comparable hardware. Yeah. So I think that speaks volumes about the efforts that uh, that Martin and and his team have put into this. Yeah, and also the shared efforts with the Raspberry Pi Foundation as well, because obviously they've been able to take advantage of a lot of the work they've done there. And Raspbian itself is incredibly mature at this stage. You've got hardware acceleration for almost everything there, and video playback is really good. But then again, in Ubuntu Mate, VLC is accelerated now, and so if you are having problems with video playback in the browser, you can just use um, YouTube DL or something like that to download the video first and then play it in VLC, and it plays flawlessly. And so that's what I did. I tested that out, and it was working fine with uh, HDMI audio and headphones plugged into my monitor, and it was absolutely fine. Well, that's good to hear. I haven't had a lot of experience with Ubuntu Mate, so this was a bit of an eye-opening test drive because I got to dig into their software boutique, which is, you know, like everyone else's software center. It's just named something cool. Uh, And, man, I, I love the look of that. I just love the way it looks. It it looks clean and modern and easy to navigate. And you know what else is in there is Steam Link. Yeah, I definitely want to ask you about that. But first, I want to ask you about the welcome screen. Did you just immediately close that out of habit, or did you actually take advantage of it? <laughs> I closed it out of habit. <laughs> and I shouldn't have, because I know that you know, Ubuntu Budgie's welcome screen is brilliant. And I, I I should have spent more time with it. And I know that there are some interactive elements there that help you get things set up. So maybe you can actually kind of enlighten me on what what they're accomplishing there. Well, I generally close it out of habit as well, but I have checked it out a few times. And it just does what a welcome screen should do, really. It has links to the various community resources uh, and introduction and um, lets you donate and things. But uh, it also is a gateway to that software boutique. Uh, now, again, before we get to Steam Link, what did you think of that software boutique as compared with other stores? I mean, for example, the one on Raspbian. Oh, it blows it away. It just it just visually blows it away from from how easy it is to navigate 
even when you look at just the fact that they're just using icons across that top bar. But it's, I don't know, it says something when you can just glance at an icon without any associated text until you hover over it and kind of know instinctively what that's going to be. Is it going to be graphics? Is it going to be utilities? Is it going to be gaming? And so having that, um, especially with a Raspberry Pi, maybe you're using it on your TV and it's kind of that 10 foot experience when you're on the couch and you have just that instant visual recognition of where to go and how to navigate the store. And besides that, it just looks good. It just, it looks way better than something like Manjaro's um, software center, their package manager. And it's probably one of the better looking ones across any distribution, maybe with the exception of elementary's store. High praise indeed. I mean, I don't have a lot of experience with that because I just drop to the command line and install stuff that way. But it is important to have a good GUI experience because that's how most people, you know, especially new people, want to install software. Yeah, so it makes it makes a very strong first impression, especially when you're coming from something like Raspbian, which, don't get me wrong, is a, a very good distro and a very responsive one given the the limited hardware that's there. But um, Mate just really steps it up. All right, tell me about Steam Link then. I'm not a huge gamer. You are a huge gamer. How well did it work? It, it was, it just worked. <laughs> 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 that's what it's supposed to do. Uh, ever since Valve announced that they were discontinuing the actual hardware, the actual Steam Link box, and just saying, hey, this is an app now. And you know what? It works on Raspberry Pi. So if you have a Raspberry Pi, boom, you have a Steam Link box. And it's so easy to install and set up. It's, it's ridiculous how easy it is. If you have Steam running on any machines in your home already, like I do, I've got it running on my uh, Intel Hades Canyon NUC with Pop! OS, and that's just always running. All you do is click Steam Link. It launches it asks you, do you want to connect to another machine? You say yes. It gives you a four-digit code, and you go enter that code on your other machine. After that, you are synced and set up for life. And so you can play your games as if you are playing them on that machine, but it's over the network using the cheapest machine you can buy, pretty much, for $35. Exactly. <laughs> so if I want to play uh, Dirt Rally 4, which uh, which recently came out for Linux as a native Linux port, or if I want to play something like Resident Evil 2, which is a Proton game, it doesn't matter. As long as my machine, my my host machine can play that, then it's going to stream it over my home network and I'm going to be able to play it from the couch with an Xbox controller. Yeah, because all it has to do is stream your control input and then stream the video back, which Google are trying to do over the internet with this Stadia thing, but it's significantly easier and quicker of your local network. Yeah, and granted, I didn't play something like Street Fighter where you just, you know, where any hint of latency could be a nail in the coffin and get you killed, but for the average game, it's perfectly functional. My setup here is interesting because about 15 feet away from where my network hardware and from the Raspberry Pi is my office where the host Steam machine is, and that's on wireless. So 
what it does is it the very first time you connect, it'll do a encoding test at various um, increments, like you know, ten megabit, twenty megabit, thirty megabit, forty megabit, and it said I had a fair connection going Wi-Fi to Ethernet. So I thought, okay, I'll give it a I'll give it a shot, and it was responsive. But you did notice some pixelization here and there, where you know, in other words, it'll just get a little bit blurry, where it doesn't have quite enough bandwidth to render it at you know one hundred percent clarity. Um, but it doesn't really affect the responsiveness, which is nice. That doesn't take much bandwidth at all. So it's a bit like streaming Netflix, and you have a little dip in your bandwidth, and it you know goes blurry for a second, and then it clears up. It's very similar to that, but. If you are wired on both ends, I don't see any reason why it would be anything less than flawless. Very nice. Yeah, there's no setup required. It's in the store. It's a great addition to what's already a a great distribution. Well, it sounds like you're going to have to buy yet another Raspberry Pi because you're going to leave this on this one and uh, maybe buy another one to (laughs) test other stuff. I have, yes. (laughs) I have three different SD cards now that I I need to find some kind of little little storage container where I can label them. This one's Cody. This one is RetroPie. This one is Ubuntu Mate 1804. So yeah, I'm going to need at least two more. Yeah. (laughs) All right, well, let's move on and talk about the Linux community. And... This is something that I've been a part of for 10 plus years at this point, and you've been part of for, I used to say six months, but it must be getting on for... Nine, maybe uh, nine months. I I think I started this whole adventure in uh, June of last year. And so I've had mixed experiences with the community, broadly positive, but a few negatives. It seems like you haven't seen that negative side yet. I've seen traces of it but you do see that in every community you know i've been for about 10 years the same amount of time that you've been immersed in the linux community i've been all over the place whether it's covering consoles or or pc gaming in general or nvidia and amd gpus things like that and the level of toxicity and hostility and just people with really crappy manners is so high in those communities. And I have seen nothing like it. I've been toying with this headline that goes something like the best thing about Linux has nothing to do with an operating system. The heavy implication being there that the best thing is the community, right? Yeah, absolutely. I can point to so many examples of people going well above and beyond taking the time to write a document just to assist me in something. Someone even wrote a guide on how to use VirtualBox in Linux, just in case I wanted to repurpose it and, and publish it on Forbes to help more people. Like they, they openly said, I know no one's going to read this, but I wrote this for you. And if you'd like to use anything from it, please feel free. Another person wrote um, a script to pull just my Linux articles from Forbes and be able to give someone an RSS feed just for my Linux stuff. That's just the tip of the iceberg. But do you think that any of this has to do with the fact that you're writing these articles and they're fairly public and you've got a fairly decent Twitter following? Do you think that the average person would experience the same level of niceness and positivity? I I can kind of see where you're, you're taking that, but I see the interactions on Twitter 
inside of my community, inside of the Linux community. I'll start a thread and, and you'll see people helping each other out, like troubleshooting a problem or suggesting a solution to something or linking to an article that might help. And and I see that and that's not something that benefits me. That's not something that they're saying and they're taking the time out of their life to do in order to just, you know, be nice to the Forbes guy who's who's bringing Linux into the, you know, the mainstream uh, media or something. So, and I see that, I see that in the Telegram groups and I see it everywhere. It's just this general attitude of helpfulness and... I think the word you're looking for is collaboration. Aha. Because that's what makes Linux different and open source generally. If you look at the AMD versus NVIDIA stuff, all that's proprietary and it's all about competition. And you've got these two companies competing with each other to make as much money as possible by keeping as many secrets as possible. Whereas it's the complete opposite with Linux. Even though you've got these competing companies, if you look at, say, Red Hat and Canonical or SUSE, they're all competing with each other in the enterprise space to make money. But at the same time, they're sharing a lot of technologies, the kernel being the most obvious one um, and GNOME being another obvious technology that they're sharing. And if one of them makes improvements to GNOME, let's say, then all three of them benefit from that. And that trickles down as well. You know, the, the whole approach to getting into open source is that you are collaborating with other people so that everyone can benefit. Every good thing that you do as an individual or a company or whatever helps absolutely everyone else or at least has the potential to do so. And so the mindset is just completely different going into this thing. I got glimpses of the same thing when I was speaking to Barton George at Dell and he was talking about all the efforts that their their engineers and developers go to to not just improve the compatibility of of drivers and and things like that with the hardware they use but then sending that upstream and benefiting people like HP and Acer and Asus and Lenovo they don't have to do that well yeah and we we talked about um the Phoenix test suite and how Michael is effectively helping you, his competition, by making it open source. Right. It's a really personal thing for me to talk about because, you know, I'm, I'm 43 years old. I've been writing online in some form or another for 15 to 20 years. And I really have never experienced the, the vibrancy and the helpfulness in that, like you said, sense of collaboration with total strangers before. It's not just people enjoying this journey of, you know, some Forbes guy who's getting deeper and deeper into Linux and actually, you know, trying XFCE or something like that. <laughs> um, it's the motivation and the encouragement and the help. And then you talk to people like Martin or Alan Pope or, or Joshua from Solus and, um, you know, Cassidy from Elementary, and you get no sense of competition between these guys, even though it's probably fair to say that the more users they have, the, the better their livelihood may be, right? But they're just all doing all of these wonderful things to benefit each other. Yeah. And of course, benefit themselves, sure, but, but they're sharing it and they're making the community and the ecosystem and the product that much better. 
But we can't have this all be a complete love-in. There are some downsides to the community. And I think one of them is a sense of superiority, a sense of I'm using Linux or GNU slash Linux and I'm better than you and I'm using Arch or I'm using Gentoo. And, you know, there's a kind of smugness, a kind of superiority. And I'm not saying that it's anywhere near everyone. It is a minority, but you do encounter that minority and it does sour it a little bit. I have seen that. I've seen that as a journalist, as someone who frequents places like Reddit, for example. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> if you go into the Linux subreddit, you do see those prime examples of elitism and, and you know, people thinking it's my way or you're just an idiot. Um, then you go into places like Linux gaming subreddit, and it's a completely different attitude. Ah, now that I think is illustrative of a key divide within the Linux community. And we've briefly touched on this before, the difference between open source and free software, Linux and GNU slash Linux, essentially idealism versus pragmatism. Now, if you're playing games on Linux, you are a pragmatist, almost certainly, because you're using proprietary drivers, Steam, things that are not open source. Whereas if you are just on the Linux subreddit, then there's a reasonable chance that you're using only free software and i think that there is this key divide there's almost a chasm between the two sides have you seen that before or i mean presumably the kind of people you hang out with uh, are generally the more pragmatic people because you come from this from as a gamer and from the the graphics cards and hardware side of things perhaps i am not as immersed in those communities or those slices of the internet where that difference is so obvious. Does that make sense? Yeah. My primary platform for social media is Twitter. And yeah, there's a hell of a lot of pragmatism on Twitter. And I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, and I, I, I run up against people who will say, by the way, I use Arch. Or, hey, you should really, you should really look into... Manjaro, or you should really look into XFCE, or you should use this, you know, backup solution or whatever. But there's never this sense of hostility that comes with it. It's always, I respect your decision. I'm glad that's working for you, but uh, maybe explore this as an option. Well, it's only been, what, nine months, so you're bound to experience it sooner or later. Um, I suppose we could talk about Richard Stallman at this point. Have you had any experience of him yet? Seen any interviews with him or talks that he's done? I actually have heard of Richard Stallman. And interestingly enough, I always heard this clip on Linux Unplugged before I knew who he was, right? The, well, I've never installed, you know, GNU slash Linux, right? I've always heard that, but then I didn't make the connection until I saw a fairly recent article from Stallman about install fests. Yeah, something which hasn't even been a thing for about 10 years. Right. Like, I I can't imagine a group of people getting together to install Linux at this point. It takes four minutes, and it's very intuitive to do, unless maybe you're you're Slackware or, or, or Arch or something. But it was like reading something from a religious fanatic, <laughs> talking about if the person that you're doing the install fest with wants to use a non-free 
driver, for example, the NVIDIA proprietary driver, which I talk about all the time, then they should be aware of the dangers of using non-free software. You may consider wearing a devil costume. And I mean, you know, like literally, and, and, and you could read between the lines, but if you read that entire piece, it's clear that he's being very serious about it. Oh, yeah. Literally wear a devil costume and present yourself to the installer as non-free software. And this is the deal that you're making. You're making a deal with the devil. Yeah, to use all your hardware properly and needing non-free drivers, then that's making a deal with the devil. I mean, what? And that just blew my mind. It was a slice of this world I had never seen before, and I was kind of shocked to see it. And I thought to myself, man, if this is not the the spokesperson you want for such an awesome community and such a great thing, it's going to scare people away. <laughs> so, yeah, that was my little taste of um, Richard Stallman <laughs> so far. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at the history of this, and you probably will read about it at some point, it was Stallman who started the whole free software movement. And it's thanks to him that we have the GPL in the first place, the license that makes it all possible. And so we do have a lot to thank him for. But at the same time, he doesn't have an ounce of pragmatism in him at all. He's just purely ideological which I've argued before is good to have someone who is at that one end of the spectrum pulling us that way, and then you've got Apple and Microsoft and whoever pulling us the other way, and you know you end up finding a balance somewhere on that spectrum, whether it is just completely not caring and just buying a Mac and getting on with it, and then you have other people who go the other end and use something like Triscoll on uh, one of those ThinkPads that runs completely free software, and then the reality is most of us lie somewhere in between that. And I think that you are slightly more towards that kind of Mac, Windows, pragmatic end, and I'm somewhere a bit closer to Stallman and co. But I don't think we're a million miles apart. So who is the anti-Stallman? Who is the, the other face of Linux on the complete opposite end of the spectrum? Is that Linus or is that someone else? I don't think Linus is really the opposite of Stallman. I suppose in a way he is because he's quite pragmatic, but he just doesn't want to get involved in the messaging and evangelism or anything like that. He just wants to do a job and make the kernel the best thing that it can possibly be. And he kind of shies away from the limelight. He does a few interviews here and there, but when he does interviews, he likes to talk about the technical stuff. That's, that's what he loves. Whereas Stallman wants to talk about the politics and the ideology. And so I don't think it's really a fair comparison. Or may maybe it is in a way. Maybe the most pragmatic approach is to just care about the technical aspects of it. And I suppose the reason that Linus Torvalds favors open source is for the pragmatic reason that it is just a better approach to making software. You're just going to get better software as a result of that. Whereas Stallman believes that all software should be free. And if it's worse than the proprietary counterpart, then that doesn't matter. If you have a worse experience, then as long as it's free software, then that's all that matters. So how does he feel about Red Hat and Canonical? Well, I'm not going to speak for him, but from what I've seen, I don't think he has much in the way of criticism for Red Hat because all of their software is free software. In his sense, it's not free as in beer, of course. You have to pay for Red Hat Enterprise Linux mostly. And Canonical, he's had some pretty 
harsh words for because they uh well they they had this amazon search thing uh, it's it's a long story but basically they introduced uh basically an amazon affiliate link type deal and whenever you were searching for even just files on your local system it was sending those searches off to amazon it was an oversight by them and Stallman basically said that Ubuntu was spyware as a result of it. So I don't think that he's too hot on Canonical even now. Is that why we still have a Amazon icon in the, the dock? <laughs> I think so, yeah. <laughs> With Ubuntu? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the first thing I ever do. I just delete that. That's the first thing I do. Yeah, you can actually uninstall it as well. Um, yeah, it's it just, I don't know. I, you can see why. I mean, everyone uses Amazon, right? And if you make a few pennies on every sale that they make, then that soon adds up but it does feel a bit cheap doesn't it yeah to do that a little bit a little bit it just doesn't feel like it belongs yeah the other important angle here is all of the learning that i can do just by opening twitter <laughs> there's there's no shortage of people wanting to kind of propel my journey a little bit faster you know and and it's more than i can possibly absorb at any given time but there are always suggestions coming in and always additional resources and reading and tips. And I've got um, seven or eight different entries in standard notes that are primarily just random suggestions from people and stuff that's kind of on the to-do list or to, to explore, to research, whatever. And it never stops. And I love, I just love that. I love that people are so invested in helping me to see the larger picture. And we haven't even mentioned MeetSpace, as it were. You haven't had that chance yet. I don't suppose you've been to any log meetings or anything over there in the middle of nowhere. None, none. I've had, I mean, I've had no FaceTime. And, and admittedly, that is where the real magic happens. That's where those real connections happen. So I, I'm very much looking forward to getting to something. And uh, I'm even looking for Linux user groups around here in, in Zagreb, in Croatia. Yeah, well, do get in contact. You're at KillYourFM on Twitter. So yeah, if you're in Zagreb and know uh, any logs, then let him know. But yeah, I can't wait for Linux Fest Northwest. I'm going to meet a ton of people there. And OggCamp's always good in the UK. And uh, Fostalk Live, my podcasting event thing. It is just great to get together, usually in a pub, to be fair, um, over drinks, and just actually get to hang out with people. And, and the vast majority of people who you'll meet Oh, really cool. So I've heard. I'm looking forward to it. Well, hopefully I'm going to drag you along to something at some point. Maybe you could fly over for Og Camp in October, but uh, we'll have to see. But we'll better wrap it up there then. If you want to get all the future episodes, go to choose-linux.show slash subscribe, and there's various ways there. And you can get in touch with us at choose-linux.show slash contact. And if you want to talk to us on Twitter, you can find me at killyourfm. And I'm at Joe Rissington. We'll be back in two weeks with more exciting discoveries. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.